uh, Revelation since the beginning of the year. But over the last couple months, we have been doing an introductory um, to biblical prophecy. And that is because we want to go into the third segment of the book of Revelation. That is the message of the future. And so in doing that, we've been considering the nature of prophecy. We looked at the divine nature, the progressive nature, and the systematic nature. And again, those are important not to forget. And that's why we went through those first. Is because God's um, pro- prophecy, and as he's declared things, it hasn't been haphazardly, but God has had a plan as he has declared things throughout history coming up to this time. And then we've looked at the conveyance of prophecy through the covenants and the feasts. This was fun this past week while we were at the, um, the baseball tournament. I was able to talk to um, a couple people about that as well. That kind of conversations came up. And uh, you'll be surprised how many of these things are important as we look at and how many people just don't understand, they don't know. And so my encouragement to you is to be able to teach and for you to be able to learn and to understand. But also to remember that 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so as we, as we learn, it's not just to get fat, but it's rather to be strengthened in our faith and to be able to teach others as well and uh, to have that apply into our lives. Then we looked at Daniel for three weeks. And... Um, Last week we began looking at the teachings of the other prophets. Last week we looked at Isaiah and Jeremiah. Lord willing, our desire today is to look at Ezekiel, Hosea, and Zechariah to finish out the the rest of the other prophets, quote-unquote. And then next week to look at um, Matthew 24, 25, look at the the teachings of Jesus. And then we'll look at the teachings of Paul and probably throw in a, a verse or two of Peter. And so today we'll continue on with the other prophets. So... We have a lot to do, and so I want to move quickly. And again, as I said last week, um, I realized that, the, you know, and not realized, but that really the most important thing is reading God's Word rather than me pontificating upon it and uh, then my points about it. And so we want to be able to read through these. Steve, a little bit ago, read Ezekiel 37. And Ezekiel 37 is the, the passage that talks about the dry bone, dry bone, yeah, dry bone. You know, we, 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 we uh, contemplated singing that this morning, and um, decided that I didn't have enough time when I came back to really work through that with Gabrielle. And, um, so we decided that, I told her I'd sing a solo in the middle of the message, and she said, oh, don't do that. <laughs> um, but it is, amen, yeah. The Valley of Dry Bones. And um, in the Valley of Dry Bones, and again, the, the, the prophecy regarding the sticks being joined together is a very important prophecy um, as we looked at that and as we read through that. And so I'm not going to read it again, because Steve already has. But note that what you see in as... As Yahweh is declaring this prophecy to, uh, through Ezekiel to Israel, and that is that he's making them a promise. And that though they are like dead people, and not just dead people, but dead people that have been dead, what? A long time. How do you know they've been dead a long time? They're just bones. And the bones are dry bones. I mean, yeah. And so he says, but though you are like that, though you... Um, you, your nation will have been like that, and it will seem like it is totally gone. There will come a time when I will come, and I will restore, I will revive the land. I will revive the nation. And I think it's interesting for us, as we consider history, and as we consider eschatology, which is what we're looking at. Eschatology is a study of last things, um, the end times, and that's kind of what we're doing, is that there are a lot of... Um, eschatological teachings, if you would, that came about before Israel became a nation because people assumed that what? Israel was 
done away with. And that just goes to show how true, how vibrant this prophecy really was. Think about it. What did God tell Israel through Ezekiel? That there would be a point when their nation would seem to be gone. Gone. It would be like a valley of dry bones. But God would come and uh, he told Ezekiel to speak the word to the bones. And the bones did what? They start coming back together again. And sinews started coming on it. And flesh became on it. And there was life brought into it. And so Yahweh said he would, in that same way, revive Israel. Note then, he went on though, and he said that he would not just revive Israel, but he would unite them. Again, in the second prophecy there in Ezekiel 37, he told Ezekiel to take two sticks and write the names, basically of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, on each stick, and then bind them together. Because no longer would they be separate kingdoms. But there would be one kingdom. And again, what we saw as Israel comes back into the land, that there is no division of the, of the Jewish people or of Israel. It is one nation. And we know as we look toward the book of Revelation, as we go into it, that as the end times come, as part of the, 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 the judgments, as part of the seals that are opening up, there will be 144,000 Israelites, Jews, who will be chosen as um, witnesses of God. And we're told that there will be then 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of uh, Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, and 12,000 from each tribe as they go on. And what's interesting about it as they go on is that there's 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, but, and I said Manasseh, but I was wrong by saying Manasseh. There's actually 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph. Not from 12,000 from Manasseh, not 12,000 from Ephraim. Because if you understand, Ephraim and Manasseh are who? The sons of Joseph. But at that point, there will be 12,000 from Levi and 12,000 from Joseph. Back to the original 12 tribes. And so God will unite the nation and he will um, use it um, in that way. Thirdly, we're told that Yahweh himself then will shepherd Israel. And this is exciting to me because... God says, not only that I'm going to bring you back, not only am I going to knight you, but verse 24, it says, David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they and their children, and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, Yahweh, I the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Yahweh says that he is going to bring his dwelling place. Now understand, he doesn't just say temple, but he says his, his sanctuary, his place, his tabernacle. He is going to come and dwell on the earth. Now, in that context, who is Yahweh? Who is the one who's going to come and dwell in their midst? Who is the one who's going to rule? Jesus, Jesus or David, we're told here David, but we know that Jesus is that David. And we're told that as we see later on in the book of Zechariah, so put all these things together, as we look at Zechariah, we're going to see that they're going to look upon him whom they have pierced. 
And so this is an exciting moment. The Feast of Tabernacles, remember going back as we looked at the covenants and the feasts, that the Feast of Tabernacles prophetically looks toward the time when Yahweh will come and he will tabernacle on the earth. Now, the first point of the fulfillment of that happened when Jesus came on the earth. Remember that? John chapter 1, we're told that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then we go on and we read that the Word became flesh and dwelt. Or the word there for the word dwelt actually means to be tabernacled, to tent. He tented among us. He tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten. And so when Jesus Christ came to the earth, we read from the book of Colossians, that in him was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That God dwelt on the earth at that moment in the tabernacle, in the flesh, in the casing of the man we call Jesus. So Jesus Christ himself, while on the earth, was God in the flesh. He will come again the second time, and he will dwell on the earth, and he will shepherd his people Israel. At that point, they won't reject him, but they will receive him, and he will be their king. So this is an exciting thing. But we go on, continue on, in the book of Ezekiel, and we look at chapters 38 and 39. There's a, this whole last uh, passage, segment of Ezekiel is all regarding end time stuff. And here, we're going to pick up the reading in chapter 38 and 39. So turn there with me, and, and I'm going to read on, and you can follow with me. It says, Now the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, and the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaw, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togomar, from the far north and all its troops. Many people are with you. Prepare yourselves and be ready. You and all your companies that are gathered about you and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many people with you. Thus says the Lord God, On that day it shall come to pass that, the, that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the wastelands that are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Therefore, son of man, Prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, you, will you not know it? Then
Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land, so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? It will come to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in my fire of my wrath, I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, and the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth, shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus, I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am Yahweh. In you, son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the people who are with you. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. And I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming. It shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, the javelins and the spears, and then they will make fires with them for seven years. They will not take wood from the field nor cut down any from the forest because they will make fires with the weapons and they will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them, says the Lord God. It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will obstruct travelers, because there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Therefore they will call it the valley of Hamon Gog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying, and they will gain renown for it on that day, that I am glorified, says the Lord God. 
They will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land, and when anyone sees a man's bone, they shall set up a marker by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamon Gog. The name of the city will also be Hamona. Thus they shall cleanse the land. And as for you, son of man, says the Lord God, speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come, gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. A great sacrificial meal in the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You may eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs, of goats and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat till you are full and drink blood till you are drunk at my sacrificial meal which I am sacrificing for you. You shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men, and with all the men of war, says the Lord God. I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment which I have executed, in my hand which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hand of their enemies, and they are all fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness, and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them, and hidden my face from them. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Now I will bring back the captives of Jacob, and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. After they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and when they dwell safely in their own land and no one has made them afraid, when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I am held in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back into their land, and left none of them captive any longer. And I will not hide my face from them any more, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. Now, that's a long reading. And it's all about this future prince whose name is Gog. Gog. And Gog is from where? Magog. Okay? And, and where is Gog and, and Magog? Where, where is all that from? Did you, did you remember it as we read through chapters? From the far north. From the far north. But not only is he going to be from the far north, but in his, in his zeal for coming against Israel, which God is going to incline him to, he is going to gather together many nations. We read about Ethiopia, we read about Persia, that are all going to be coming together against this. And so the first thing we see in this passage is that there's going to be this multi-nation force will come against Israel, led by this guy named Gog. Now there are as many, there are many, uh, who prophetically believe that this is referring to Russia. Because they are the, the country that is the far north of Israel. The, um, the root of the word Russia is really um, uh, potentially coming all the way back from the Yiddish and Hebrew of Rosh. Rosh, which you read here. And Rosh means um, to be a head or a leader. And so, is that all... There together, I'll let you know in a thousand years from now, you know, when I'm there and maybe it's all happened, we'll know for sure. 
but a lot of the indicators seem to be accurate. Um, Russia is the, the nation to the far north. What have we seen? It's been kind of fun during my lifetime to watch some of the, um, the, the national happenings, if you would, international happenings. And um, coming out of the, the era of Ronald Reagan, what happened? That was, seemed to be just incredible. The wall came down. And when the wall came down, that Berlin Wall, what did that signify? End of the Cold War. End of the Cold War, which really was signifying the end of what? Communism. Communism. We all, communism. And, and, and Russia was beginning to have this democracy, and they were going to become like the Western world, which is not necessarily exciting, because if you understand anything, that when, when the walls finally came down and they opened up to the West, the first thing that the West pushed into Russia was pornography. And it was an amazing thing. So um, they never really struggled with a lot of those things before because they clamped down on it. But when they opened up, the West, when you read the book of Revelation, we'll look at that later on, one of the things that we did was we, we sent in all of our adulteries and, and everything else. It was an amazing thing. So, um, but in the last couple years, what have we seen to start happening again? The resurgence of, of Imperial Russia. And the resurgence of the communism. Okay? And, it, and things going back to where it potentially was. And it's amazing to see the, the wave of, of eschatology change with all the, the headlines. You know? Because you know, everybody was saying it was Russia, it was Russia. But then all of a sudden the walls come down and Russia starting to change. And everybody says, well, maybe we were what? Wrong. But now all of a sudden people are saying what? No, no, we were, we were definitely right. So, indicators seem to be that whoever is there in that area at that time, whenever it happens, probably will be involved in this, this happening. There have been a lot of discussion, why? Why would, why would anybody be coming against Russia? Well, clearly, there is a spiritual reason, which is the primary reason, and that is what? That's not the spiritual reason. That's, phys that's physical. What's the spiritual reason? What, why, would, why would nations, a multi-nation force, come against Israel? Think spiritual. Think spiritual. You can destroy Israel, you destroy the promises. Remember, we go all the way back to Jeremiah, remember? Think spiritual. It's a spiritual war. Okay? What's the spiritual war? It's not us. It's not Israel. It's not even Russia, is it? It's who? It's God and Satan. Satan who has declared that he will be like the Most High God, and he is seeking to destroy the plan of God. In order for him to destroy the plan of God, at this moment, he has to destroy the plan of God through Israel. So he's got to destroy Israel. And so many people over the time have tried to figure out who Antichrist is. You know, was Hitler Antichrist? I think that because Satan doesn't know the day or the hour either, that... He has, throughout the ages, sought to destroy the people of God in many times. But he, as well, knows the scripture, and so he can know the timing of things happening, and he knows when things are getting closer as well, right? And so I think there's an all-out bent that's going to happen. And so at this moment, he knows that the time is what? Short. And so God allows, God allows this, this battle. In fact, God says that he has risen up, Gog, 
for this moment to do this. And so we have this, this balance now between the, the decreed will and the permissible will of God and how all this comes together. But what we know then is this multi-nation force that's going to come against Israel seeking to wipe them out. Now, that's spiritual. On the physical realm, there are a couple of things that we can look at and we can say, and we can kind of justify to ourselves why this would happen. Well, first, we talk about oil. But you know what? Israel really isn't the, the big depositor of, of oil. If they really wanted oil, where would they be attacking? Saudi Arabia, Iraq, um, Kuwait, the, Alaska. Yeah, yeah. we ain't going to take it, so somebody else might as well. Anyway, sorry, that's a political message. We'll leave that for later. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, Israel's not the place that they're going to be going for, for oil. What does Israel have? Desert. desert. They want desert. No, Russia has their own desert. Many people have desert. Fertilizer. Israel has the largest, largest mineral deposit in the world. They have the largest concentration of potash, which is the most important uh, fertilizer. Anybody know where it's at? The Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. They got all these fish coming and dying every day, adding to the fertilizer in the bottom of the Dead Sea. And what's interesting about the Dead Sea is that and you can think this biblically, is that the Dead Sea, during its um, upper tide moments, I'm trying to, how do, you, how do you say that? It's upper pole moment. Actually, is, is two bodies of water. Okay? But as the summer goes on, and they don't have rain through the summer, that the, the Dead Sea kind of does what um, our lake did recently, and it shrinks, right? And the bottom half of the Dead Sea actually dries up. In fact, when, the, um, when we read about the, the wise men going back a different way than they came, they probably went back, remember when Jesus was born, they probably went through the, I wish I had a picture of this to show you, they probably went through the Dead Sea, if you would. There was an actual a passage that people can go through that as the Dead Sea kind of shrinks um, with its, its height, that you can actually walk between the two bodies of water. Anyways, so during those times... It is easy for them, if they choose to, to harvest some of the potash. So, now, is that really why it's going to happen? I don't know. But we can see that there really are potential reasons that are, you know, that it won't be spiritual. You know, that Russia is saying, we are the arm of Satan and we're going to come and destroy Israel because we're defying God. I don't think we're going to read that. I don't think that in your newspapers that you're going to see that the forces of Satan have gathered together to, to, to go after God. But rather there are going to be... Um, natural, if you would, logical reasons for all this to happen. <clears throat> Maybe Israel has done something to provoke, which they probably will, provoke the nations um, to, toward this. And so um, we just know that God says that this is going to happen. Don't let it take you by surprise. Hopefully we won't be there anyway, right? And, um, but it shouldn't take the world by surprise because God says it's going to happen. He even gives us detail about how it's going to happen and who's going to come. Secondly, we read that when that happens, that Yahweh's fury is going to be poured out on Gog in all those nations. That as they come, his, his fury is going to be so great that there's going to be an earthquake in Israel, such as there's never been before. And that these things are going to be phenomenal. And that he is going to kill, he is going to fight for Israel, and he's going to destroy them. And elsewhere we read that the blood is going to be so great that it's going to be up to the, the, the neck of the horses. 
We're told that He's going to gather all the, the vultures and all the, the, the birds of the air to gather together of all different kinds. This is not just going to be one kind of bird, but He's going to have all the birds come together. You know, all these carrions are going to be coming together and they're going to come together for this feast of human flesh. Doesn't that sound gross? That's awful. But God said it's going to happen. This is God speaking, not me. This isn't a Stephen King novel. You know, God said, this is what's going to happen. The nations are going to come together. I'm going to destroy them. And it's going to take seven months, seven months for Israel to bury all the dead. And even at the end of seven months, they're going to have, they're going to have workers, searchers, just going to be walking through. And every time they find a bone, they're going to put a marker by it so that the barriers can come and they can get the bone and they can go bury it in the Valley of Hamunah. Amazing thing. We read that Israel were burying those dead for seven months. An amazing thing. And then, in the end of all that, Yahweh is going to reveal himself. Did you note how many times over and over and over again throughout all this, the purpose of the nations coming against Israel is that God would be revealed to Israel and to the nations. That the world would know that he is God. That Israel will once again realize that he is God. What does that signify? That they will have what? Turned away from him. Yahweh shall reveal himself once more to Israel. And Israel will receive him. An amazing, exciting time. Now, the remainder of Ezekiel here, chapters 40 to 48, we're not going to read. Okay? That is a long passage there. Yeah. I would read it. I, but I think that for the sake of time, we're not going to read it. Um, Devin taught through this a year ago. But in 40 to 48, and I challenge you to read it, a lot of it is, is tedious reading. It's all about the rebuilding of the temple. And so, in this passage, God says, there will be a rebuilding of the temple. And he gives, in these eight chapters, nine chapters, detailed account of how the temple is to be built. There's a reason for that. He wants it to be built that way. And you know what? It will be built that way. Secondly, we read in these eight, nine chapters that there will be a reestablishment of temple worship. Now that kind of makes sense. That's why we're going to have the, the temple being rebuilt. But there will be then the establishment of temple worship again. Now what is temple worship? Sacrifices. There will be sacrifices that will be brought together. What else is a part of the um, temple worship. What, what else do you need to have temple worship? The priest. The priesthood would be there. And what's really exciting to me, again, if you look over into Israel, right now, they have already made the instruments for use in the temple. Over the past generation, there have been um, priests who have been, I mess this word up all the time, Set aside, we'll just say that. Um, they've been set aside so they won't be tainted by the world. So when the time comes, when the temple is ready to be rebuilt, they have a priesthood that is ready to serve. Israel's ready for this. They're, they're preparing. Not all of Israel, but the, the religious side of Israel is ready for this. They lack one important ingredient. We've talked about this numerous times. What is it? It's the red heifer. It's the red heifer. The red heifer is important because they've got to sacrifice, have a burnt offering of a red heifer. 
then they take the ashes of the red heifer, they mix it with water, and it's that the ashes of the red heifer mixed with the water that is used to cleanse the temple and all the, the pieces of the temple. To, to cleanse the, and, and to sanctify and to set apart the, um, the, the priesthood as well. They are urgently looking for a red heifer. I shared this a while back. Some of you may not have been here. But a couple years ago, they found one. They had one. They had one born. So they brought a whole herd in from Louisiana over to Israel because they wanted to be born in the land. It has to be born in the land. And they had one that was born in the land, but they examined it with a fine-tooth comb, if you would, and they found one white hair on its rear side. And that made it impure. Chris? What's a red heifer? It's a, it's a, um, a cow. Okay. Say again. It's, yeah, it's never had a calf. It's a cow that's never had a calf. And it'll be red. It'll be the color red, kind of like a, a, a brownish red. Okay, but the, it's, a, it's, a, it's that breed. Okay, it's a roan kind of color, red. And so, um, so they're, they're anxiously waiting for this. They, I mean, they have the, the herds that are there that are, that are giving birth, and they're looking for one. Okay? The priest. The priest. Can they? No. See, that's the real key. But yes, some of them, some have sought to keep a lineage, but the thing that they go by right now, again, is the word Cohen. Okay? You know people whose last name is Cohen. Well, that is the Hebrew word king, or and priest. Okay? So, theoretically, those whose last name are Cohen probably are the, the lineage of, um, of Aaron, and they are priests. That's why they have that name. And so, it's just an amazing thing. Now, is, do we know that 100%? No. But that's, they have to make some assumption coming into this, and, and I think I believe those were the assumptions that were being made. And so there are these individuals who are set aside so that they can be pure when it happens. This is all going on, you know, and while well, we're fat, dumb, and happy, kind of mo- moving on with life, but there is a segment that's over there. And I honestly believe, I can't tell you how it's going to be done. You know, I'm not the prophet or son of a prophet. But the Temple Mount will be given back to Israel at some point. I don't believe, like some believe today, that the temple will be built next to the Dome of the Rock. That is just blasphemous. And I don't, the ones who are there, I don't think will accept that. Um, I think that there will be some sort of a political agreement somehow, where Israel will get the Temple Mount. Okay? I can pontificate upon that, but I don't know those things, you know? This is just my guess. My educated guess is I look to the Bible, they've got to get it somehow, right? And so... The Muslims, the Arabs, have got to be able to give them that Temple Mount, and they're not going to give them the Temple Mount for what? For nothing. That's exactly right. So there's got to be something happening. Is it a part of the, the seven-year covenant that the Antichrist will make with Israel? I don't know. Um, is it going to be some form where the Arabs think they're going to get the upper hand by getting a certain piece of land like the Golan Heights? Um, if, they, if they give over the Temple Mount? The Golan Heights is, you know... All the, the warfare has been staged from the Golan Heights in years past. Israel fought to get the Golan Heights back. And, uh, but, you know, if they were to receive the Temple Mount to be able to eradicate the, the Dome of the Rock and put up their temple, would they be willing to give up a strategic stronghold to get it? We can, we can debate that and we can, we, can, we can think about it. Who knows? Hopefully we'll know in years to come. We'll see it all happen. And, uh, but regardless of how it happens... There's going to be the rebuilding of that temple. And with the rebuilding of the temple, there will be the reestablishment of temple worship. And then in that as well, 
there's going to be the reapportionment of the tribes we read in this time. And this goes on in chapter 48 and such, where they're told specifically which tribes are going to get what segment of the land, what the dimensions of Jerusalem will be, and who will be where. <clears throat> and so God is looking to reestablish Israel entirely as he did way back in the original times. And so I want to encourage you that, again, you know, as we talked about last week, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are of Israel, but be careful that you don't have your, your, your biblical interpretation be colored by what you think of the modern-day state of Israel. Okay? Because regardless of what you think of them, God says they're his chosen people. Now, let's jump to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 3. Clearly as well, there are many um, other prophecies, small and, and such, that we're skipping through. Okay? I mean, just, again, I'm, the, the balance here is not to spend so much time away from Revelation that we forget what we're doing here. Okay? But in Hosea chapter 3, is a small little chapter, five verses, where we read, beginning in verse 1, Then Yahweh said to me, that is Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover, and is committing adultery just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. Boy, doesn't that sound like us a lot? So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one-half homers of barley. And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord in his goodness in the latter days. Now, there are two things, and the reason I, I, I wanted to do this passage uh, was important. That, that is very uh, critical that we need to understand because we live in a day of what we call the church age. But as we look to the, the prophecies of Paul, we're going to understand that this is a period of mystery. Okay? That this is, a, this is a, a mystery period as well. And in this mystery period, what we see here in Hosea that God had already declared is that there would be an extended period of time that Israel would be without a king and without a priesthood. Did you see that there? It says, verse 4, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice, that's the priesthood, or sacred pillar, without ephod, priest, or teraphim. We are, in a sense, in that time. Since the time of, that Jerusalem was sacked, after the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, Israel has been without king and without priesthood. Israel right now is a nation, yes? Does Israel have a king right now? No. No. They still don't have a king. They have parliamentary procedures. They don't have a king. The day is coming when their governance is going to change. And they will have a king. And who will that be? Jesus Christ. David. The, 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 the fulfillment of David, King David. And that will be Jesus Christ coming again. And so we see this extended period of time. But then secondly we see 
that there will be the returning then of the people to Yahweh. That, that they will come back together again. We have seen this. I hope you, this is kind of, that, this part of the thing is just kind of like good grief. We've seen that so many times. Over and over and over again, we've seen that Israel's going to come back. Israel's going to come back. Israel's going to come back. Why? Because God has chosen them, and God is determined to be that way. And God's word will not lie. Okay? So, real briefly through Hosea chapter 3, um, that's what we have. Now let's move on to the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah, that's the um, next to last book of the, the Old Testament. And we want to look at um, chapter 12 and chapter 14. Beginning in chapter 12, verse 1. We read the burden of the word of Yahweh against Israel. Against Israel. Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all the peoples. Who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. Though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. In that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength and the Lord of hosts their God. In that day, I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the woodpile and like a fiery torch in the sheaves. They shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place. Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of the Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Shimei by itself and their wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. Now, some of this should sound very familiar from what we just read in the book of Ezekiel. What's the first thing we see that God says is going to happen um, at Jerusalem? All the what? All the nations. There's going to be a multi-nation attack on Israel. The peoples of the earth are going to come against them. So there's going to be this multi-nation attack on Jerusalem again. Okay? 
But again, like we saw in the book of Ezekiel, what's the next thing that's going to happen? There's going to be a divine, a, a divine deliverance. God's going to come down, and He's going to Himself deliver Israel. But the most exciting thing is at the end of it all, there's going to be a recognition of the one whom they have pierced. If you're ever witnessing to a Jew, this chapter is really a phenomenal chapter to go to. Who is speaking the words of this prophecy? Is it Zechariah? No, it's not. It's God's. More specific, Sean. Who is it? Give me a name. Who, who specifically is declaring these things? Yahweh. Yahweh, by his name, is that that's how God wants to be known. Yahweh is the one who's declaring this. And Yahweh says he's going to come. He's going to do these things. And Yahweh says, and they're going to look upon me whom you have pierced. It's not even about Jesus at this moment. It's about Yahweh. And to ask them, when did you pierce Yahweh? When was Yahweh physically pierced? Because clearly no eye has what? Ever seen him before. Is that true? I mean, that's what we read. So, when did you physically, when did you people physically pierce Yahweh? When Jesus, when Yeshua was pierced on the cross. It's a great passage to go along with Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 40 to 48. Um, because again, you know, when you witness to a Jewish person, do they believe in the, the new, new Covenant, the New Testament? No. I mean, you, to, to, to do that, I mean, it, the Word of God is important, it's powerful, I understand that. But the reality is they don't accept Yeshua as, as Messiah. And so the important thing that you've got to show them is that Yeshua is Yahweh. That He is the Mashiach that was de declared to come. And this is so important because Jesus says in John chapter 8, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That's what Jesus said to the Jews. Unless you believe that I am. That comes from John 8, I think verse 24. And when you look at that, you're going to see that the word he is in italicis. Get rid of it. Jesus didn't say, unless you believe that I am he. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And he's talking to the Jews. And the whole key there is that they need to understand that he himself is Yahweh. And this is the fulfillment of it. They're going to look upon him. And they're going to realize that this is God in the flesh. Yahweh tabernacled among him. The tabernacling glory of God right there in their midst. And they are going to mourn like there's never been a mourning before. Why do you think they're going to cry? Why do you think they're going to be mourning? Shouldn't there be a, a time of rejoicing? Why do you think they're going to be mourning? As one mourns his, the loss of his own firstborn. Because they missed it the first time. There will be such sorrow that for so many years they missed the plan of God. And rather than accepting it, they rejected it. And I ask myself when I read a passage like this, how sorrowful am I when God brings to my attention that I've dissed him, when I've shown disrespect, when I've disobeyed him, when I've missed his plan, or I've chosen to reject his plan. We like to look at 
Israel and, and point a, a wagging finger, if you would, at them and say, how could they do that? But years ago, there was a, at a men's breakfast, Jerry Smith, some of you know Jerry, taught from Psalm 16, where it says, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And said, you know, how foolish it is for someone to look all around them and see the evidence of God and say, there is no God. But how much greater of a fool is it who knows that there is a God and then acts like there isn't one? And so we, who know that he has been pierced, we know all these things. I mean, all this, these factoids, you know, we're, that, we're, that we're filling our brain with and becoming thick with, uh, of knowledge. The question is, what impact is it having in my life? I'm so more assured of what's going to come. Shouldn't that have such a greater profound effect in my life? And yet, we kind of mosey on with our life and, and forget. I wonder. I know there's no weeping in heaven. No shedding of a tear. But I wonder at that bema seat of Christ. When Christ reveals what I've done with the gift that he's given to me. How much shedding of tears there's going to be before we get enter into the kingdom? When we begin to realize how much we've squandered and what we could have done with what he's given to us. Zechariah 14 is our, our last chapter we want to look at this morning. It says, Behold, the day of Yahweh is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations, sounds familiar? For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the house is rifled, and the woman ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then Yahweh will go forth and fight against those nations, as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. From east to west, making a very large valley, Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley. For the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come in all the saints with you. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will be diminished, will diminish, and it shall be one day which is known to Yahweh. Neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen, that it will be light. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And Yahweh shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, Yahweh is one in his name, one. All the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Beth Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. The people shall dwell in it and no longer shall there be utter destruction. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited and this shall be the plague which, which, with which Yahweh shall strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from Yahweh will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. 
Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Such also shall be the plague on the horse and the mule and the camel and the donkey and all the cattle that will be in those camps. So shall this plague be, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever... And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter it, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations which do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots of the Lord's house shall be like the bulls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook them, cook in them. In that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Now again we see the same thing happening. That there is going to be this great battle that comes upon them and that Yahweh will fight for Israel. Yahweh will, will fight for Israel. He's going to come himself. And um, we read about um, that as he comes... He's going to stand upon the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in two. And that um, his people are going to be able to um, evacuate, if you would, through the valley that he makes. But then he's going to fight for them. And when he fights for them, we're, we're given a, a detailed description about the, 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 uh, the, the bodies dissolving, the, the eyes dissolving in their sockets, and the tongues dissolving in the mouth. And that um, the, the enemy is going to turn on one another, and they're going to fight against one another. It's going to be... Just utter chaos, utter destruction. We know from the book of Revelation, again I'm jumping ahead, but we're told that when he who come, whose name is Faith, when true comes, that he is going to, by the sword which proceeds out of his mouth, destroy the enemy. I take it that there is not going to even need to be a sword raised by the saints. But that as God created the heavens and the earth, by just a what? Just a spoken word that all he needs to do is speak the word and the life will be sucked right out as we just read how the, it'll, the, the eyes will just dissolve in the socket and so the life will come out of it the picture is what's happening the, the life is just going to be sucked out of these people and they're going to turn on one another and they're going to kill each other and then as we read in the book of Ezekiel that they'll, they'll die and they'll rot right there and, and they'll all be buried right there as well but the final thing we see, and we'll see this more um, as well in the other, um, as we go to the, the teaching of Jesus as well, um, that there will be nations. There will be nations that survive. Not every other nation other than Israel is going to be destroyed at that time. Only those who came up against Israel. But there will be other peoples, other nations, that will actually enter into this period, this millennial reign, if you would. Okay? This, this time of Christ's reigning, of Yahweh's reigning on the earth. And all of those nations that are on the earth at that time will be required... Now understand the wording here, because we talked about this a little bit after the message last week in the, the question and answer time. Um, that there will be people, they will be required, y'all will be worshipped by the remaining nations, they will be required to come once a year during the Feast of Tabernacles to come and worship God, to worship Christ who is reigning on the earth. And if they don't do that, which means what? There is the potential for them 
not to. There is the potential, even in the millennial reign, for people to rebel against Christ. That God says that when they do that, if they do that, when they do that, what's he going to do? He's going to withhold the rain. There's going to be that cause, causal thing. The wages of sin is death, and it will be visible at that moment. Because Christ is going to come. He's going to reign with a rod of iron. And so there are those who talk about the millennium, and you know, is there going to be sin there? Well, yes, there's going to be sin. Just because Satan is bound for a thousand years, it doesn't mean that sin is eradicated. If Satan never was near you at all, would you ever struggle with sin? Yes, James chapter 1 says that we struggle with sin. Why? Where does sin start? Within us, within our own lust. We're drawn away of our own lusts, and then it brings forth sin, and then sin brings forth death. It has nothing to do with Satan. Satan loves to see us sin. Satan loves to see us stumble. Satan loves to see us fall. But ultimately, ultimately Satan doesn't really care about us being destroyed. He wants to see us destroyed, but not because he cares anything about us, because his ultimate attack is against God. And so, we struggle with sin because we struggle with sin. And that will still be in the millennial, the millennial kingdom that we see there. Now, coming off of all these, the questions then that I ask myself and I ask you, and that is, how much have you learned regarding biblical prophecy so far in this brief introduction? And though it may seem long to you, it really is brief. There is so much that we haven't covered. Have you learned any more about eschatology or about end time events from these times? I hope you have. Okay? And the, the reason to ask that is not just no, so I know whether you have or not, but for you to ask yourself, what have I learned? And don't forget, don't, don't let it just come in one ear and out the other ear and forget all about it. God has got all this stuff in his word for your learning and for your purpose. It is for us to understand. It's for us to be able to share with others. And God can use the whole um, counsel of his word in order to lead people to Jesus Christ. In our day today, prophecy and the discussion of end times is so critical right now. Many people are seeing the things that are happening and they're wondering the things that are going on in this world and where is it going. You have the answers. If you know God, you know exactly where things are heading, what's going to happen in, in this short time. It shouldn't take you by fear. It should be a time of great rejoicing. But for those who don't know Him, it should be a matter of fear. And so you should be able to tell somebody, you should be able to know these passages. They're telling them, look, here's what the Word of God says that's going to happen. I like to do that as I witness. Because honestly, if somebody doesn't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're going to be here, right? And wouldn't it be nice if they say to themselves as things start to happen, wait, somebody told me that that was going to happen. And maybe it'll be the seed which God uses to draw them at that time to himself. So, in all that, has it changed your perspective of end time events? Some of you may have come here and just didn't even have a clue what end time events were going to come, comprise. Some of you, it may have changed the way you think about Israel. Changed the way you think about some other things. Beyond that, how has the surety of God's plan for the future affected your faithfulness today? Just as God's going to come to deliver Israel after the multi-nation attack, so Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds, as he's promised, and we'll talk about this next week, as he's, he's going to come in the clouds, and he's going to take us up to be with him.
And at that time, there is going to be an accounting that we give for what he's given to us. And we can sit there and we say, yes, 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 oh yes, boy, when God comes, boy, God's going to get him. Be careful you say Gog and God in this, I mean, it's just, I was, there's sometimes, my, my fingers when I'm typing, you know, I've, I've had typing for years and so I can type pretty quick, but a lot of times when you type, you don't think, you just type. And so your, your brain is used to a certain pattern of letters coming together and, and they just finish out the rest. So every time I went to type Gog, I put in God and, and I had to keep stopping myself saying, no, 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 you know, and, you know, because I certainly don't want to twist up Gog and God, that's for sure. But just as God's word is going to come true for Israel, so it's going to come true with us. And finally then, how would God describe your spiritual condition? Go all the way back to Ezekiel 37. Are you the valley of dry bones? Spiritually speaking, are you deader than a doorknob? God wants you to be vibrant, living, moving, active for Him. If nothing else, prophecy should inspire us, should encourage us to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. The time's at hand. Whether it's today, whether it's in my lifetime, whether it's in your lifetime, I don't know that for a fact. But one thing I do know, the judgment is in everybody's lifetime. And they will give an account. And knowing that, knowing the surety of God's wrath, we should be able to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us not to become just fat with knowledge. For we know that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. But Lord, as we learn from your word, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to take this which you have given to us and to use in ministry to others. Lord, I pray that you would, you would bring an opportunity in each of our paths, even this week, Lord, this month, to share with somebody else the truth that you're teaching us from your word. Lord, there are those that are out there that are wondering, that are, that are searching, that are ignorant, that are seeking. Lord, I pray that you would bring them before each of us. Lord, not just me, Lord, everybody here, and that we each, Father, would be equipped, we'd be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us. And we would be able to take them to your word and show them where you, God, have declared that these things will be. And that you, God, have declared that you will have done these things that they would know you. I know that's your greatest desire, is to be known of us. That we would have a relationship with you. So Lord, cause us to be faithful. Cause us not to be complacent, but ever desiring to grow in your grace and knowledge. Pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.